0: Hello, American Downhiller fans, and welcome to the American Downhiller podcast, episode number nine, presented by SkiRacing.com. Today, we will share our thoughts, stories, and memories of running the craziest, most dangerous, and wildest ride on the World Cup circuit, Kitzbühel's Hahnenkamm, also called The Strife. It drops 2,800 vertical feet, not too challenging, covers exactly two miles, not that long, And last year's winning time was 1 minute 53 seconds, not that tiring, but it is filled with the craziest I have ever skied on in my life. It is what all downhill uh, courses are compared to. Hi, everyone. I'm Doug Lewis, two-time Olympic downhiller, and I raced Kitzbühel from 1984 to 1988, and my fifth place in 1986 personally ranks higher than my World world Championship Bronze Medal. If I had only one word to describe the strife, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with crazy. Everything about it is off the chart. Hey, joining me are three of the fastest American downhillers in our history on the strife. Founder of the American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian who raced Kitzbühel from 2003 to 2016 and had a career-best sixth-place finish in 2006. But he also DNF'd on the course, and he lived to tell the story. Marco, it's tough. One word to describe the strife.
1: I can't think of one word, but it's the showtime count? That's the hyphenated word, maybe.
0: (laughs) It is showtime on the downhill circuit. Good one. A.J. Kitt, a four-time Olympian who raced kits over 10 years and was the first American downhiller to reach the podium in the modern uh, modern era, a second place in 1992. A.J., you're showing us the uh, trophy. One word, if you got it, for a Kitspiel.
2: Um, Consequential in a lot of ways on the, on the high side and then on the low side. You know, you can have your biggest crash. You can have your biggest victory.
0: Awesome. Perfect. And finally, Darren Rawls, winner of 12 World Cup downhills, uh, excuse me, 12 World Cups, two of them at Kitzbühel, the only U.S. winner of the Hanencom besides Buddy Warner. Um, Darren became a Hanencom champion in 2003 over Didier Kush by five hundies. He also won the Super G there in 2004. I want to hear all about being a winner there, but Darren, one word to describe Kitzbühel's course.
3: Strife. Strife. And it, and it means challenge. It so means challenge.
0: challenge. I mean, it's yeah. a perfect word for sure. Physically, right, before, mentally,
3: everything, you know, it is a challenge.
0: All right, before we get into the course, I do want to ask uh, all of us, um, what was, you know, the first time you heard about the Hanukkah, the first time you saw the Hanukkah, the first time you traveled there, what were your thoughts? And I'll go first at this one. So I'm a sophomore at Green Mountain Valley School. I was a Slalom and and, uh, GS superstar. I wanted to be Ingemar Stenmark. And I remember being at the common room, in the common room of Witch's Hat, watching Wilder Sports. This is back when I was 15 years old, a sophomore. And we saw... Uh, Kitzbühel on television and Corey Murdoch, a guy from the US, crashed so hard, almost like uh, Brooker's crash at the bottom on, on the Zeal And we all just could not breathe. We could not look away at this crazy crash. And we all looked at each other and we p- actually pinky swore. We all said to ourselves, we will never run that course. It is too dangerous. <laughs> And five years later, I'm sitting at the start at running Kitspiel. But the course, when I first saw it, I thought, never in a million years would I run that. How about you guys? What did you first think of it?
2: Mine was similar to you, Louis. I um, I kind of learned about it uh, when I was a kid. You know, I was at, at Mountain House School in Lake Placid as a, I don't know, 14 or 15-year-old ski academy kid. And there was this, this older student at the school that all he talked about was racing the Haunted Conference racing Hanukkah, racing Hanukkah, and it's just like he was obsessed with it to the point where it was like, this is kind of a joke, but what's this all about? Like, you know, that was my first introduction to it, and then when I first really saw it, the first famous, my first most sort of famous uh, memory is Brooker's crash, so then it got kind of paid off, like, oh, now I know why that guy was so into it and thought that this was like the ultimate experience in ski racing, and and frankly,
3: that's exactly what it is. I was kind of opposite. I was frothing to ski this thing. I mean, all the hype and everything from the U S ski team guys, how it's like such a big deal. And, um, you know, it's like, you make it down on race day, you acquire veteran status. I wanted to be a downhiller and it was just something that I wanted to step up to and, and see what I was made of. So it was something I was really charged up for. And I did go, to Kitspiel the first time before I even skied and walked down it in the summertime and that kind of raised the bar even more because when there's no snow on a hill it's steeper and I had like I mean a whole summer to think about it sweating it but fired up and then I get there and it was actually a little more tame with snow on it than it was seeing it just like dirt and grass
1: I think for me, I don't have a, t- a real childhood memory of it, but I remember showing up there for the first time and I just made it into the top 30. I was, you know, rookie on the tour. It was my first time ha- starting a training run in the top 30, I think. And I, I drew number two and so I was number two out of the gate and Amat and Sheldon Andre Amat, like a childhood idol was starting right behind me. And he, I told him it was my first time going. And he just started jiving me a little bit. Like, Oh, don't crash you know this place is pretty scary it's tough down there and he's just giving me a little bit of and then I go down and I crash <laughs> I, over the houseberg there was like a big fog bank and I landed and couldn't see anything and just like tomahawked into the fence and kind of hurt my leg and I ended up not being able to race but Ama came and found me after he's like oh, I'm so sorry man I didn't mean I thought I didn't know you were actually gonna crash I was just trying to make it make it an experience for you. And so he felt really bad, but it was my first real experience on the strife.
3: He spooked you. He's probably trying to mess with you a little bit, but then yeah, Uh-oh. <laughs> this kid just watered up. Sorry, buddy. Yeah.
0: Darren, your story reminds me um, <clears throat> on my first trip to Europe, we went through Kitzbühel as a, I don't know, probably 17 year old and we stopped and we hiked Kitzbühel in the summer. And this is when I was infatuated with it. I was scared for a while, but then I came infatuated with it. And I remember I was at the style hung climbing up almost to the top. And I uh, looked around. Nobody was around. So I peed. I urinated on the style hung saying, I got the better of you and I will return and pee on you again. And luckily, I was was claiming my turf. Luckily it never got me. So that's a little too uh, much inside baseball there, but so the most asked question I get is what is going through your head when you're standing in the starting gate of Kitzbühel? Uh, Darren, I'll throw this one to you.
3: Well, the lead up is the most challenging part of the race. I think just getting your mind in that space where you're ready to fully commit Um, physically you know, it's, I mean, you get yourself ready every race physically to go a hundred percent, but this one was, I would say the most challenging because of the, just what, you know, the consequences on the line, how AJ is one word consequential, you know, he threw that one out there and it definitely was. So, um, to me, it was just getting hyped up, going on my plan, knowing how to ski this hill, top to bottom. And, uh, you know, breathing to me was a big deal because it kind of zoned me out and cleared my head. And the last thing I was thinking about was just just full-on attack. Um, so there's a process of just thinking about it, getting all organized in your head, what you're gonna do, maybe going over a few last details of the coaches over the radio, your teammates, but then lock into your plan and do not deviate and just have a one-train or one track mind, and it's you know. Freight training down this hill and, and going for it.
0: AJ, I'll throw it to you. Was was what was going through your mind at Kitspiel different from any other race? And what were you thinking about? You know, in the starting gate. Yeah, you,
2: you need to be absolutely focused. And, um, and you know, the like I said earlier, consequential. You can't get offline on this course, right? I mean, you know, if you if you get offline, you're in big trouble. And if you DNF, like miss a gate, you're, you're going into the nets and you'd be lucky if you don't get a helicopter ride. Like there's just no room on the margins for, for mistakes. And you know that in the starting gate. And so, um, yeah, the vibe and the and just the whole, the atmosphere at the start is different than anywhere else. I mean, most courses, it's just kinda, people are sort of chit-chatting and they're noisy, they're doing their job or whatever. And it, for the most part, it's dead silent at Kitspiel because people are so focused. Um, and then, you know, the inside of the Star House is something that I, th- I always felt found really interesting. It's a really old building and the Kitspiel Ski Club is is part of the building but where the start house is is you kind of you're up the side of it then you duck into a doorway and then you're in this big room in the in the in the building's super old and when I was there people would carve their names and racers would carve their names in the wood inside the start house room and everybody's name was up there and I thought okay I'm not gonna do this until I win I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this out for myself until I win then I'm gonna carve my name in it Well, I never won. So I still haven't carved my name in it. Yeah. Just, you know, looking out the starting gate at, uh, you know, at those first few gates, you know, that there's, it's so slick and icy and that, you know, six seconds in, you're going to be leaving the ground at 60 miles an hour off the mouse volley jump. I mean, it's a harrowing, it's a harrowing mindset to, uh, to overcome and to leave that starting gate charging. Like you're, like you're going to go out there and beat the world is, is not an easy Uh, not an easy thing to decide to do because I remember several times running that course just going I just hope I cross the finish line standing up today you know there was a few times I went out of the gate charging I felt confident but for the most part it was uh, it very much got your attention Marco what was what was
0: in your in your mind
1: I, I think it's important to note that you know racers are are fired up you know being in the in the start like AJ said there's a ton of focus not a lot of chitter chatter and extra content going on, but it's the pinnacle of our sport, you know, and you you're trained for that moment all season long and you're there to prove yourself and you can make or break your career on that run. And, uh, that's exciting for a professional athlete who's fully trained to do that and to, to be able to rip down a course that has those kind of obstacles. Um, it's really a proving ground and i think that's important to note people talk about like the fear and the all that but um the fear is kind of pushed to the side once you're in the start gate in my opinion you're full focus and you just want to make it happen and make a name for yourself
0: for me um it was all about attacking the course more than i knew the course was gonna attack me. And Darren, you, you used that word attack. I had to full on attack mode and tear it up. Grunt, drool, spit, whatever it was, I had to raise my level to be more intense than what I was going to ski. And just to point it out, on every downhill, there's a place where you can get seriously hurt. Maybe two places, right? Hoonshaft and the, the final turns. Or at Beaver Creek, it's, it's Pizza Arena and one of the jumps. At Kitzbühel, as we saw with with Travis Ganong, you can get hurt and fall in the first gate. It is a risk from the start, especially, to that finish, and you have to be ready to attack. Now let's break it down. Darren, from the start, about 30 seconds till you hit the road, it is just rock and roll. Take us through um, the start, the mouse folly, the compression, the carousel, and the style
3: I started showing up in Kittsville by turning up Metallica on the radio, rolling into town, starting it right there before I even stepped foot on, the, you know, in town. That's kind of what it was. Like I had to ramp up to get to that moment a couple of days later in the start house where I could fully attack, like we're talking about. Um, kicking out of the start gate, I'd say you could see the guys who want it. There's a handful of guys that really get out of the gate hard and are skating you know as much as they can get out of the first couple you know like maybe three um you know pushes off the legs to start uh first turn those are the guys are you know all in ready to attack this thing and you have to there's no opportunity to just ease into this track it's on game on right out of the starting gate and um the left foot on the first turn there's a followway there so you have to kind of like um, coming behind a little bit and get that direction. I mean, your skis are, I mean, you're just starting to, you have good hard snow, but you, I mean, you're at slow speed and you got to get across the hill pretty quick. So you put a lot of, uh, power in that left foot. And then to me, that second turn was pretty important because I didn't want to climb up too high, set myself up. I wanted to just like use as much fall away as I could and trim off that entry to the next gate and get most of the turned on after, but you gotta be careful because you don't want to be you want to be like lined up and squared up off that mouse of folly to have a good clean jump. But a lot of guys would set up and do an exit turn and come back like center, even to the right. My deal was like, I go in there more direct and just finish it off right before I'd be flying off mouse of folly to the left. So that was kind of my, I guess, um, way to differentiate myself. I was always fast in those first two splits and that was part of it. Uh, by trimming line off, and I would save it for race day. I wouldn't give that up until it was race because I knew I could pull it off and carousel. And my line there was to just go more direct and kind of slide the top of the turn. Um, so it wasn't a very clean, nice turn. It was more just like you're like a slow drift and a hammer. But you had to like the timing had to be really good there because you needed to keep coming back, um, you know, to the right, the top of style hung. And that was still like, you can slide your skis like without getting so much, you know, speed, you could do a little too much and, and, you know, hit the brakes a little little, like too much there. So that was kind of like a, a feel kind of like turn on a call there. And then um, there's a really cool roller on that left foot to like juice into that and like make that, you know, nice flowy transition to that right foot on top of style hung. And that was a gate I'd try to hit. I wanted to be on that. I didn't want to like, and, and when I was think, when I'm thinking about hitting it, just skimming it. So I wasn't getting sucked out to the, the right too far. But my main focus from there down was to be the fastest, they like put the fastest, you know, speed on the clock going into the, into the road because leading into the road, I mean, I, with my size, I need to have as much speed as possible just to stay in the hunt on the, on the flat section. But I'd say leading into that left foot on the road was really critical because it's blind, it's a fall away, it's a basketball term we call it. So you're going around the corner and if you're up too high, you're gonna drop down and like get you know too close to the fence and lose momentum and if, if you're like too deep at the top, you're just cut. you're just run too much of a long you know turn to that that uh, left foot or so is that was a challenge like actually hitting that up you know just right but um i think that's the greatest thing about downhill is the puzzle putting it together and and trying to like figure out lines and timing and where to pressure and all that but it was game on from start to to that section it was about 26 seconds from what i remember um, and then trying to cook onto the road so and the next I'm section see it on I'm tv i am impressed to
2: hear how much uh, how much line variation you played with Darren because i always felt like I mean, to, to some degree, whatever sort of timing and line I chose as I entered the, the, the you know, the, the carousel turn, that just dictated everything for me to the road, right? Like someday, some days, I, sometimes I nailed it, and some days I was just just searching, like I was offline and couldn't change any of that. So, I mean, that was just me, and, and you know, the, the, the one thing that, um, the one place I felt like I could adjust my line was off the of Mouse folly. I mean, the further right you are off mouse volley, the bigger the jump is, because it's kind of angled like this. So if you're, you're coming off over here, you're like, woo, it's a much bigger jump, but you're set up better for the, for the compression. But you know, if you turn more off of that, 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 that right footer above mouse volley and go a little bit further left, it jumps a little bit smaller and you're making a little bit more of an S turn. But um, I never really played with cutting off line up there. I was just trying to get from start gate to the mouse volley jump as quick as I could. You know, that was my mind, so just get there. And and at that point, you know, gravity takes over. I mean, you'd probably leave the ground at 60 and land at 80 off that jump. And then it's, you know, time to stand up through that compression. So it, I mean, to me, it was all about about rhythm and flow. Um, I I, I wasn't really playing with
0: line. Marco, did you enjoy that top 30 seconds or was it uh get me through this so I can survive and make up time on the road?
1: <laughs> no, I loved it, man. I I probably wasn't the best up there, obviously, but uh I was kind of more in AJ's court where it was dictated by the hill i mean i'd go out i'd try and have a few good skates like darren said at least make people think you are looking for speed you know (laughs) (laughs) and uh but no for sure having the mindset that you want to go fast you got to attack that day um and the carousel was always a bit of a crapshoot for me because go in there and just like aj said sometimes your edges would hook up and you'd nail it Sometimes one one year ended up almost down by the fence on the skier's left. And then you're just trying to adjust your line so you can dive down into the style hung. Um, And then (coughs) I think the left footer at the bottom of style hung is probably the toughest turn or at least top three toughest turns in ski racing because you can't really see the exit onto the road until you're right on top of it. So the whole initiation of the turn in the middle, you're just bouncing along that side hill. And when you finally eyeball the exit, you're either pointed at the fence or you're pointed where you want to go. You know, and we've seen a lot of guys eat that fence right there because once you're once you see it, it's already too late. You know, you're committed.
0: I think mean, we all had our best laid plans, uh, but you then, as soon as you got on the course, it changed, and you had to deal with the line that you ended up with. But I had to, I have to agree with with uh, Sully. Uh, in the basketball turn the left footed uh, style hung turn you can't see anything so you're just trying to believe and i would never even if i was super high super direct there was no confidence that i was going to be able to make that road until you came over that last little roll where the gate wasn't like oh it's going to be christmas or it's going to be a nightmare and then uh you went on to the road you just you're just um, waiting
2: to you're just waiting to appear around the other side of that basketball and have that fence like this. You're like, damn, I screwed it up.
0: <laughs> Quack. So interesting in this course is that the next thing you do for 20 seconds is ride a f- super flat road. Um, it's become wider and wider. When I ran it in the early 80s, it was like eight feet wide. It was just really incredible part of downhill. Super flat. Uh, I'm going to throw this to Marco. Once you can finally breathe after... Darren's 26 seconds and you're on the road. What is your focus? Well,
1: once you come onto the road for me, first thing I like took a breath. It's like, okay, I survived the, the top, you know, got that done. And then you're look. it's actually a rare section on the world cup where you're dead flat, dead straight. And you're in like your wind tunnel tuck, you know, you're trying to get as aerodynamic as you can feel the skis super flat. Um, it's a spot where, you know, the old saying, you're not going to win the race there, but you could lose time or lose the race from between the road and the next real challenging, challenging sections on the bottom. Um, so I would come onto the road, kind of take a couple of breaths, think of my game plan for, for what was coming up. And, but then you fly off the road called the Alta Schneise jump in certain years. That's a pretty substantial jump. You're flying 30, 40 meters. And, uh, it can also be super icy there on the landing, icy and bumpy, a little side hill. Um, so it's mellower than the top, but still really got to be focused. And you go from the Alta Schneize onto the side along jump and around a big right footer, which I don't actually know the name of, but it's a whole whole section that's a little bit mellower, but you've got to be fully on it because there's, there's a lot of little things there where you can lose tents. Um, ultimately I felt like you're always thinking about the houseberg at that point That was the next real challenging, challenging section, but, um, you just had to be focused on in the middle. And it's a, a part that gets overlooked a lot because you don't, oftentimes they don't show it on TV, at least the road part. Um, but it is taking a breath and a bit of relaxation before the next real
3: challenge. And that's kind of how I looked at it. I like what Marco was saying about uh, coming off of the style hung, and then first thing you did was breathe, yeah, because right. you know you're you're faster when you're when you're relaxed. You cannot, I mean, faster gliding when you're relaxed. Yeah, you're yeah, faster sure. from the start to the road by all out, just like like you said, literally spitting, grunting, fighting. You know, it was a battle up there, and um, I made sure too. I hit the road and just. Let the air out and really try and like, get in that like calm, relaxed position. So I can let the skis move and just pull me down the hill.
2: You know, I had the benefit of, of kind of running both courses. The, the section that Marco just talked about is kind of a new section. You go off of Altuschnice and then you stay left and you go, they gave you a new jump and kind of a wiggle turn. And then you bring it back into the old course, right right under Sidalom Restaurant. Back in our day, Louie, when I started and when you were racing, you'd go uh, off of Altaschneise, which was like, you know, you're going off of this road at, I don't know, 60 miles an hour, not really that fast. But it went from this really calm 20 seconds to you jump off of this thing and you land in like an icy mogul field. And I just remember, like, if I could ever grab a tuck partway down that thing, I felt like I, I nailed it. Because, and the other part of it is you wanted to fly, I wanted to fly as far as I could down the thing. Like if you pressed it really good, you're on the snow and just like through this mogul field as long, you know, forever. And I felt like, well, the longer I fly, the less moguls I got to absorb. But but you know, then we used to just kind of stay straight and go to the to the right of of that little island where this new jump is, and then just make one big uh, right footed turn coming back in. And 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 you know, I before I years before I raced it, Louis, you and I raced together, and Bill Johnson was on the team. And us young guys would just listen to stories from you guys about how gnarly that was. And like, you know, skiing down a mogul field and, you know, some of the old downhillers when I was uh, still in high school, like, you know, Chip Cochran had raced there and he talked about, you know, tucking through mogul fields. So, you know, I was going to school, you know, in Waitsfield, Vermont at GMBS, we'd go find a mogul field and try to tuck down a mogul field to prepare for the for the Hanukkah. Um, and that's exactly what it was like. But nowadays, I mean, I went back a few years ago and it was just, they groomed it and iced it and it was perfectly smooth and, you know, glistening, you know, with the, with the light. And um, so it's, it's changed a little bit, but man, that, that middle section, you get 20 seconds of rest, but then you've got to get back into fully paying attention to what you're doing because it really comes at you, especially now with this new section.
3: And like Marco was saying, there's a compression there. You come over like a sweet kind of like roller and you're switching. And then this is, there's an intermediate timer right there and I actually I could hear the announcer this is the first time I could hear the announcer like light up if you're killing it and you're fast that announcer gets on that mic so mm-hmm. loud and excited and I've heard that a couple times going by so it kind of gives you a little extra like I'm in the game I'm in the hunt mm-hmm. like just keep pushing but you've seen a lot of guys screw up there quite a bit I think maybe they, they um, ease up a little too much a lot of guys will come in there They've like high-sided, hooked up weird, hit the fence, Bodie rode off the fence when you're there. Guys go on the inside and the hip. They, I mean, it's maybe because they're just like, oh, I got through another like pretty difficult section, and I just got to like roll through this right footer, but that eats a lot of guys up.
0: I think, Marco, you said it the best. Um, you may not be able to win it, road, Alta Schneise, Larkenschuss, but we've all seen people lose it there. Bodhi is a good example. He went off the net, just leaned in. Y- you're not focused enough because you are thinking about the houseberg and the zeal coming up, because that is, to me, the gnarliest 20 seconds of downhill in the world. You go off that houseberg. No you and... do
3: not want to be making, you know, thinking about that, Lou. You know, that's what we've talked <laughs> about before. It's taking one <laughs> second at time, but so easy to have that like looming in your head. Sorry, I just want to yeah. throw that in there. Of no, for but, sure.
0: I mean, you got to you gotta stay in the moment. And I think people yeah. are, are thinking ahead and that's the wrong wing. So there's a nice Red Bull uh, banner now, but not when uh, AJ and I first started run, but it is craziness. I'll, uh, I'll just explain it. You're on a left footer, you come off this jump and it's blind, like a lot of Kitzbühel. You land on this bank, you try to get as much uh, right footer as you go over a, a slight basketball, and then you are riding a side hill that is to me, I remember it as a cliff, a side hill cliff that you have to get on that right foot and everything has to be there. And you're just holding on, holding on, holding on. And I used to just zero in on that gate on the zeal sprung. And if I could be on the left of it, happy new year, happy birthday. If I was on the right, you were in some serious trouble. You drive that and go to the bottom, but it is so intense. Each of you talk about your thoughts and maybe one of those rides that didn't go well or did well through that session because it makes or breaks the race
2: yeah i mean it's like darren was saying you know that's the spot for me in all of world cup you know that was the the most um i don't know it was the spot that i had to dig the deepest right coming into those last turns after, after side alarm, you're heading into those super G turns around the Hausberg restaurant there and you're just getting ready. You know, you know, this like blind drop off is coming and you're like, yeah, I want to win this race. I want to get there as quick as I can, but I'm not really sure I'm ready for it, right? You're like, I got to dig deep for this. Cause I mean, again, it's just like And once you, once you drop off that thing, I mean, that's when you really start to hear the fans and feel it because there's so many people at the bottom and they are screaming and there's thousands of people on all sides of you. Um, but it's full commitment. It's full commitment. You got to press stay right off of Hausberg a little bit. You've got kind of, kind of a roller in the middle of that turn, that, that basketball turn that you've got to execute. Right. And, and, and for a few years there, I had the timing, I had the timing down and where I would land, I would delay my pressure and then I would go with it. And it would set me up just right going around that, that high gate at the beginning of the of the side hill. And if I could get that just right, and you weren't climbing too high to dump speed and you weren't, you know, too low and having to hook back up the hill to get to that last gate at the sprung. That was great. I mean, and you'd nail it. And then, um, you know, another thing that I think changed as well over time is, uh, you know, that compression at the, at the, at the bottom of the zeal before the, um, the finish jump. I just remember like the first years I raced it, all I could think about was don't get squashed onto your, onto your tails and that compression because you won't have time to recover forward, before the jump you'll just go off the jump and loop and so like that was just one more one more thing that was like don't lose focus stay forward you know and your legs are smoked your legs are smoked in the super g turns before houseburg and you know you're just hoping that they will respond in the side and the side hill and into that compression but then man i tell you what going off that last jump it was a sigh of relief because if you nailed it it's a nice long flight you land and you're just straight into the finish line and that's for me that was the first moment when i really felt relief was was in the air off of uh off of the finish jump um cuz i kind of at that point i figured i was going to make it
3: <laughs> yeah i mean it was like a marbled staircase trying to like traverse on that and um come up houseburg conte that was always a sweet jump cuz it just drops right off and then you uh land and make a switch to the right foot and you go into that compression and Try and trim off a little line there into the compression, and just get all your momentum going across the side hill. You see, guys that, are, that establish a momentum a little later, and they're still getting sucked down the hill, and they're either going to pay with like fighting the whole way across to come back up, or they're going to go into the fence. And there's, you know, that's that's another spot where I mean, you're feeling it. You're minute and a half into the race, um, your legs are your legs are, you know, you're, you're fighting to hold on. And like uh, you just mentioned, digging deep, just everything you got to like fight and try and hold a super clean edge. And then trying to get those arms in front to try and reduce any uh, drag was a big focus for me, but you're holding on. You you can't really give up until you pass that gate on the zeal uh, sprung there. You're just holding, 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 and then just, you know, like clear that gate and it drops off and you can let it rip to the, the finish. But then, uh, I mean, there's some big speeds there. I remember um, a couple of years before I raced, I was looking at like there was like 93 miles an hour. It was like, you know, I saw something like that, like 140 something clicks um, quick, you know, through there. And that jump is, is a fun one. But another thing I do, too, is like just let it fade right to the finish. Because if you look at the hill, it does tilt a little bit like that. And I would just kind of, instead of holding it straight, my line was kind of always like going to the outside, like right third of the finish track. I just felt like I could make up a few more honeys down there. Picking it apart, you know, like always looking at ways to pick it apart and just make a little more speed.
1: I'm glad to hear you guys had so much respect for that turn and that, that, uh, traverse because it was always in my yeah. head and I know was, everyone I mean everyone just you looked at that thing and there's so many off camber angles and the compression after the houseberg you're right where you initiate your turn if you're in the right place is actually a compression which you know if you're a ski racer you know that what a when you hit a compression what it does to your skis it's it kind of bends them up really aggressively and that's just another factor where you got to react to that while you're trying to recalibrate your direction. It's blind going over and, and watching the guys who were really good on that turn, uh, like Stefan Eberharder comes to mind, Kush obviously, Darren, you're always fast down there. Um, but it was just so impressive to watch the commitment into that turn in particular, the right footer below the houseberg. And that dictated your line across the traverse. Um, and I'm just thinking about my last year there. I watched Axel Svendahl. There was like a little hole that was developing right on the initiation of the turn. So Axel goes down, cartwheels in the fence. He was the number one racer at that time. Reichelt, Hannes Reikelt comes down, another guy who had won the Haunted Common in the past. He blows his knee, cartwheels in the fence. George Streitberger comes down, blows his knee in this hole. And I was running like, Behi- right behind all those guys. And I knew at that point, it was, it was my last year. And I got to that point and I just like gave a little stivvy and went inside. Oh, that no. Ball. And I totally, I was, at that point in my career, I was just like, this isn't worth it, man. I, I don't have the headspace anymore. And that, that was one of the moments where I knew I was, I was done. Cause it's like, if you can't embrace that feeling, be willing to commit on that turn. shouldn't be there you know so but that turn is just like like Louis said win or lose or definitely win the race was that turn you had to commit
2: yeah it's funny that um i i I never had any any doubt that i was gonna you know make it from the start to the road like you know fast or slow i was gonna get there i wasn't really worried about crashing in, in that upper section not so with hausberg in the finish man i was always in fear of eating and going into the netting i've seen so many guys crash down there and Either hit the netting or go over the netting, like Vitalini did, uh, or you know, like you described with with uh, with Svindal and RCS last year, like just taking a, you know, taking a right when you should have taken a left. I mean, like there's so many just nightmare scenarios that go through my head for for that Hausberg section.
0: Yeah, you have to live it to to truly appreciate it, and uh, I thank you guys for trying to explain it to people who have never run it. It is just amazing. Uh, and you are just—it's amazing. You're going—I don't know—65. It feels like 95 across this bumpy cliff side hill, and the the amount of calibrations and math going in your head. Can I make that gate? You know, what do I have to do? All these decisions come through to make that last gate. And I just want you to 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 describe what it feels like to get to the finish. Win, which I never did, but lose or draw. When you make it to the finish, you have a smile. You are you are just energized beyond feeling and just sharing that with everyone around you. Doesn't matter if they're German, Austrian, or Swiss. I just remember the finish of Kitzbühel just being a happy place if you're on top of your skis. AJ, I want to go to your experience. First one on the podium in the modern era, second to Heinzer. What was that like? Did you come through knowing you would stay? At, were you in first? Were you in second? Take us through that second place and what your feeling was all the way to the trophy stand.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I had I had um, I had popped a couple of top 15s in Kitsbiel, um leading up to that in the, in the years prior to that. So I felt pretty confident. And that was one of those. That was one of those days where I went out of the starting gate wanting to win that race. Like I, I, I had no fear. I was in physically fit i was strong i was skiing really well i was confident and so i mean i left the starting gate attacking that course which is such a great feeling all by itself i mean forget about the finish but just having the, the personal fortitude and the confidence to leave the starting gate attacking that hill was just a great feeling um and i mean like i said earlier you know i i got into a good rhythm on the top and and i you know the line was good you know i, I executed well um, and, and I hit the road and, and, you know, looking back at the split times, I won the top section from the start to the road. I was first, I was one of the faster speeds entering the road. And, you know, me as a glider, you know, had, had I had, I had the benefit of, of, of narrating my own run at that time, I would have been like, okay, I got it locked up because I'm a glider. I'm going to kill everybody here on the road. And, and then all I got to do is get to the finish line. So, uh, but not so much, right. I mean, I lost a ton of time on the road and I don't know if I, made a mistake or we missed the wax or whatever it was. But I came, you know, I, I got on the road and I was leading the race and, and Heinzer had already gone down the hill. So, I mean, you know, um, as I crossed the finish line, I knew what my what my result was, but also in those split times we knew. And and I ended up, you know, showing up at, at the top of the Houseberg after that middle section, I was nine tenths back. So somehow in the middle, I lost time. And this was before the new section was created with the extra turns and the jumps. So I mean, basically, like I, I guess I screwed up, you know, Alta Schnaiser and didn't didn't tuck the mogul field very well, I guess. But um, but again, I didn't know any about the, anything about that during my run. I just was I was gunning it, and um, you know, again that 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 jump and entry to the side hill, jump over Hausberg, entry to the side hill, it just went well. I mean, I I landed in the right spot. My timing and rhythm was just right, and I and I you know hit that side hill perfect, and I tucked down the Zeal and flew off the finish jump and crossed the finish line. And, you know, you look up and, and the board is there and I was in second place, which, and I came off a victory earlier in the season in, in, uh, in Val d'Isere and, and I was uh, you know, fourth or fifth in Val Gardena. So, I mean, I was rolling, things were going well. And, and second in Kitspiel was, was amazing. And um, yeah, it felt great. I mean, I was, uh, my mom was in the audience. She was there, she'd flown over. So that was cool to, uh, to have family in town and, and I mean, yeah, it was great. And I mean, I, from that point, I'm like, yeah, I'm winning this next year, no doubt. Like I'm, I'm on a roll. I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to do better next time. So, uh, which, you know, obviously we, we know didn't happen, but um, it was an incredible, you know, incredible experience to be able to charge that hill. Forget about the result. I mean, I always tell kids at race now, I'm like, don't think about what happens after the finish line. Think about the process, think about the run, enjoy the run. And I, and I literally, in today, enjoy the feeling I had during my run more than I enjoy being able to hold this thing up, you know. Um, and 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 honestly, it was uh, and this is you know a little tongue in cheek, but I used that result for years with Darren. He was he would he'd won races, he'd won world championships, and all, and I can still tell him I yeah, but I'm better than you in Kitsfield, better. I was second. Your best in Kitsfield is sixth or fifth or eighth or whatever. And then I got the call one day. It just crushed my world when he won it.
3: <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Uh, I have to say my best feeling ever as a ski racer was getting in that gate, you know, at all these like, you know, tough races, um, especially at the Hanukkah, though, and having that full commitment. Um, just ready to find out what I was made of, but, but ready to give it all. That was a defining moment that probably – I live for more than anything else. Yes, it's nice to back it up with being fast on the hill, but to just be in that position and, and ready to give it your all with no doubts, I think was the most gratifying thing I ever had. And
0: Darren, we have to, if you can truly describe it, what's it like being announced as the winner of the Kam in Kitzbühel?
3: Well, I think the, the biggest defining moment for me, I was talking to Rudy Huber today, I was, I'm in Austria, I'm in the, the, you know, atomic homeland here in Altamark, just stopped at uh, Schladming to link up with Rudy Huber, who was the race director um, at Atomic when I was racing. And we were, we were talking about kits and the defining moment for me was being on the podium, I shared third place with Stefan Eberharder, Werner Franz was second, Herman Meyer wins. So a sweep. For Austria, except for I was like, you know, in third there as well. But to hear Hanukkah, Seeger, Herman Meyer get like announced at the nighttime awards in front of like thousands of people up on the hill was probably, you know, it was the craziest moment I ever had. It was before being on top of like when, when I won. Because um, I was like, at that point, I was so fired up, you know, to like have a great result, but I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to feel what that was like and um, it was just I kind of felt destined that day I don't know I'm like this is my day and it was a day with weather and all that and everything but I had a third place there in 01 I'm walking to the press conference I think Tom Kelly gets AJ on the phone and like you just said we still know who the best American is there in Kits, right like, congrats, buddy. But like, I'm second and you just got third. Like,
2: I milked that uh, cow. I, I, I think
3: my reply was like, uh, you, you got that right, AJ, but you're retired, man. I'm coming back. I'm gonna win this thing. And in 02, I was like all about the win. Came off style hung with I just came in two direct, went off that basketball blind roller we said we were talking about and i was locked in on not happy birthday line i was uh, locked in and slamming the fence both skis came off my race was over i thought it was a dream and i was like i actually popped back up i was jamming down the the road on my back flipped over my stomach popped back up and tuck skied on my boots for another like 300 feet and then uh came to a stop and you know uh it was like most like ugly feeling i could ever have but then the next year oh three came back and, and took it and you know there's just so much going on like uh and i had we we're talking about everybody cheering for you well u.s section on the right side but junior hitcher tj my sister all these tahoe buddies and i would sh- and they had the american flag california flag waving i just shoot right over there to them and, and slam up against the fence and and um you know, give those guys a little, like, what's up, and then, you know, go into the, the Corral area, but, yeah, it was just, it was so fun to share it, right, and, um, you know, when you win the Hanukkah, there's a lot of cool things that happen, one's the gondola, you get your name on a gondola, number 91, if anybody makes the kids field, make sure you wait for that one, take a ride, but then there's uh, the Strasse, so Winter Street, and at the end of the, the award ceremony that's done right after the race in the finish area, only the downhill winner gets to walk out of the finish area through this trap door that pops up in the, in the race corral, the bottom. It like lifts up, there's stairs that go down and it closes after you and you're gone. I saw Herman walk down that, the year I was third. And I was like, all I wanna do is find out what was down there, I wanna ask him uh the next race or awards that night. And I was like, you know what? Like AJ said, I'm not going to like carve my name into the star house until I win this thing. I'm never going to know what's going on down there until I win this. And, you know, you have all these amazing thoughts of, I, I, I thought it was like, okay, all the past like legends of the, of the you know, Hanukkah are down there, high-fiving you, best schnapps in Austria. And uh, there's none of that through there
1: <laughs> it's it cool familiar. but
3: y'all still want to know but uh yeah it's not quite like that but it's pretty cool it's an escape you know route to get out of there and you know it's just another way kind of just kidsville separates itself from
2: where where does it pop up where do you come out i'm not telling you man i don't want you you know
1: in, in you
0: the the, Neverland.
1: Building, the uh race building over there where they have the awards
3: how do you know marco it goes
2: that way
1: yeah it doesn't um, i don't
3: know <laughs> yeah so i'll let you know so you go downstairs it hooks a right and up on the wall there is some cool plaques and there's like the podium really nice like nicely done plaques and there's a you know a podium of the names and then all signatures on these like you know on the steps and then it goes out comes up through this like kitchen at the red bull house which is that where they have the official awards and where the you know commentators are that you know the tv crews up there but it comes out underneath that place and so you just bypass a ton of people you know but there's still people know you know fans know that the winners have come out of there just over the years seeing them so they're stacked up and it's it's madhouse there but it's pretty cool you know something a little extra going on there in kids but I'd say it was just unreal I mean that was my number one focus every year was to try and do it there and and um yeah I had a lot of close calls too of two 100s from a win I had seven podiums there two fourths those ones probably hurt the most two fourth places in Kittsville sucks yeah the other you know just circling
2: back real quickly you asked about one word you know the other one I was thinking about was tradition because it really is I mean is all about tradition and you know Darren you know you you said that uh you used to go to the um, the finish line when you drive in every every time, and I wonder if that started with us because the tradition that existed when I came on the team, Louie, was you were a rookie until you finished Kidsville on race day, and then you got your veteran status. And um, and I honestly like it was a bit of a hazing ritual too, like the veterans would 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 really make it difficult on the guys that had never raced there before, like maybe over embellishing just a little bit about how dangerous it is and all that. And that tradition continued for me, Um, you know, Louie, after you retired and Darren and these guys came up and they would ask us about kids' Spiel and what it was like, man, we took that opportunity to really make it difficult on them. And and certainly to this day, the first thing I do when I drive to town, I mean, I've been over there a few times the last few years and I pull into town, I drive to the finish line. Like, I wanna see that baby right away. And, you know, uh, we used to do that in the team van we pull into town we go and it's like okay time to start the relationship today for the week with this course we're going to introduce ourselves and we're going to get on the right foot and um and so you know these traditions at a place like kids are really special and they evolve and, and uh and it's it's a lot of fun
3: yeah i didn't know about that i didn't know that you guys did that you know but that was something that i mean i end up doing on my own right Metallica is cranked up, ride the lightning, rolling the town. I'm walking up to the, I actually walked up to the last jump, but it was like the one moment I could have the hill to myself and I would talk to it. Like I would give it respect, but I'm here to own you, you know, like keep me safe. I'm basically talking to the mountain, like, you know, just help me go fast here. Keep me safe, but I'm coming out here to own you. And then I would actually go down to Londoner, have a beer and a Jaeger shot. Before the first team meeting, I'm not kidding. I'm like (laughs) seeing those guys. I'm like, I'm going to come here. I'm throwing down the hill. I'm not going to see you till Saturday night, but it's going to be
0: on. So the tradition continues this weekend with two downhills, one on Friday, one on Saturday. Make sure you tune in. Wake up early. Thank you to AJ, Marco. Darren, and thanks everyone for watching and listening to our American Downhiller podcast. If you liked it, spread the word, share with your friends, post about it, tell your coaches, teammates in your club. You can find us in audio form on either Spotify or Apple. Just search American Downhiller podcast and our video version exclusively on skiracing.com. It also helps a ton for you to discuss subscribe, and also give us a five-star rating. Looking forward, our next podcast will cover a variety of topics, including U.S. Olympic team qualifications, the Olympic downhill course in China, more special U.S. ski team guests, and the final downhills on the circuit this season. Don't forget to watch Kiss Fuel Races this Friday and Saturday on Peacock and NBC. Thanks, and always remember, ski fast, take chances.